All right. Um, well, if you didn't know, it is wedding season. Um, who's been to a wedding in the last month? Raise your hand. Okay. Wow, not as many people as I thought. Um, well, I went to a wedding uh, a week ago, um, and it's so this is interesting. It was the first time I've been to a wedding without Sarah in like five years, probably. 10 years, maybe? I don't know. A very long time. And uh, the wedding was fun. It was good. Um, I didn't stay as late as I usually do, so I had to get home to check on Sarah. You know, I'm a good husband. Um, but when I got home, it was interesting. She started to ask me questions about the wedding. And she said, you know, how was it? And, and being a man, I answered, great. <laughs> and she said, okay, but yeah, like, what was the bride wearing? Like, what, what did her dress look like? Did she have straps? Was it strapless? You know, was it beaded? Was, did she have a belt? What was it? And I was like, I, I think she, she was wearing white. I'm pretty sure she was wearing white. She's like, okay, but what, what about the bridesmaids? What were the bridesmaids wearing? Uh, clothes? I don't, I literally, I couldn't tell you the color of the dresses they were wearing. I had no clue about it. And so finally she asked, okay, well, at least, what about the flowers, the centerpieces at the tables? And honestly, I, I have no clue if there were centerpieces or not to this day. I have no clue. Um, I've seen pictures, and I think there are. There were centerpieces. There were flowers at the wedding, but I just never saw it. It's not something I pay attention to. Uh, finally, she asked, so, like, what did, like, did you remember anything from this wedding at all? And I did remember we had this braised rib pork, and it was so good. It was, it was really good. And I thought it was interesting that... When Sarah and I go to a wedding, we experience two completely different things. Like, we're at the same place looking at the same thing, but we're seeing two completely different things. I'm, I'm seeing the food and the drinks, and that, that's about it. And she's seeing, you know, all the decoration, all the work that's gone into this, all the beauty of it. Um, and it's something I completely miss. Uh, we can both be looking at the same thing and be seeing two different things. Um, two days ago, Jared sent me uh, a text message with a picture of Albert Einstein. Or, yeah, was it Albert Einstein? Yeah, Albert Einstein on it. And he said, dude, check this picture out. You've got to use it in your sermon. And so he's my boss, and I'm going to use it in my sermon. Um, <laughs> and so it's a picture of Albert Einstein. And in the message that he sent, he said, dude, if you squint your eyes looking at this picture, it looks like someone else. Does anyone know who it looks like once you start to... Marilyn Monroe. Kind of weird, right? Like, you look at it one way, and it's clearly Albert Einstein. But then all of a sudden, you, you squint, you look at it a slightly different way, and now it's... Mar and those two people could probably not be farther apart <laughs> in terms of what they look like, right? Beautiful Marilyn Monroe and, and Albert Einstein. <laughs> um, and so he, he sent me this thing, and then I just went on this adventure of trying to find more illusions like this, because I was like, this is magical. I have to find more things like this. And so I went on the internet, and I searched, and I found all the best ones, and I'm going to share them with you. Okay, you're welcome. So this is uh, this next picture. It's kind of a classic. People see two different things here. Raise your hand if you see a young woman kind of looking away. See a young woman looking away. All right, now raise your hand if you see an old woman looking to the side. 
Does anyone see both? Raise your hand if you see both. All right, yeah, if you, if you take a look at it, you can see the young woman, it's her chin, is the nose of the old woman. All right? So you're looking at the same thing, but different people in this room saw two completely different things. This next one I'm about to show you uh, has torn families apart. It's destroyed relationships. It's destroyed friendships. It's the dress. Uh-huh. Wow. All right, when I first saw this, I thought, I thought like everyone, it, all my roommates were messing with me. I thought Sarah was messing with me. Because clearly this is a white and gold dress, right? Raise your hand if you see white and gold. All right. You people are right. You people are correct. Raise your hand if you see blue and black. Obviously uh, overwhelming. Yeah. So the special people saw white and gold. This is one that just uh, has torn families asunder. It, uh, and so we're looking at the same dress and seeing two different things. And so what, what we're talking about this morning is, it's, the title of the sermon is Love Sees. And what we're going to be talking about is how does, what does love see, and is what love sees different than what we see? Is what love sees different than what you and I see every day? Um, so the series has been called Go Love, and last week Jared talked um, about how love makes the invisible God visible. And there's no way that you can read this book and get through it and get to the end and, and think, you know what, there wasn't much on love in there. Like, as, as soon as you open this up, you begin to understand that love is one of the main subjects of the Bible. That love is one of the most talked about things in the Bible. Um, there's commands over and over to love one another in the Bible. There's uh, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. John 15, 12 through 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Ephesians 4 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has also forgiven you. Be imitators of God, loving one another. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. There's over and over and over throughout scripture, it's talking about how we ought to love one another. And what's interesting is each of these commands is usually tied to as Christ loves us. We're commanded to love as Christ loves us. And I think it's a tall order, it's a big order for God to ask us to love the way that he does. And it's clearly important. And, and what I think is in order to love as Christ loves us, we need to see with new eyes. We need to see with eyes that Christ sees with. So before we get started, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just pray that this morning you would open our eyes to something new. That you would allow us to see with your eyes, with eyes of love. Lord, I just pray that anything um, that comes out of my mouth up here is, is just only from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to start in Romans chapter 5. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. And this is probably one of the most quoted uh, verses of Scripture. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And it says this, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some other versions will say, While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. I like the way uh, Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. We were of, while I am of no use whatsoever to God. I first read that, I was kind of like, ouch. It hurts a little bit, right? Like, uh, when I'm of no use, I'm of no use to God? And, and I thought, man, I, I really would have rather that ended as, you know, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death because he saw that I was kind of cool and... And that, you know, I actually have a lot to offer, and I'm pretty smart, you know, all all these good things about me. But the truth is, it says, I had nothing to offer him. A week ago, if you were to tell me to finish this sentence, love sees blank, I probably would have said, uh, love sees the, the good in everyone, or love sees the best about people. Those are important things to do. It's important to see the good in everyone. It's important to see the best in people. The Bible says is God sees us as not super useful to him, as no use to him whatever. And as strange as this is going to sound, that's really good news. It's really good news that God doesn't see us as useful to him when he loves us. Because Jesus is not loving us in order that maybe one day we would repay him. Jesus is not loving us uh, because we've earned it. Jesus is not loving us because somehow one day we could love him back enough to repay the things that he's done for us. It says, there's nothing I could do to make God love me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing good enough in me, nothing cool enough about me to make God love me, yet he still loves me. And I think that's good news because that means there's nothing I can do to make him unlove me. It's good news because God doesn't look at me and ask, okay, is, is there something about Tyler that makes him worthy of my love? Is there something about him that that makes him good enough for my love? No, he's the one who makes me worthy by loving me. You see, I think what's different about what love sees, about what God sees, is, is, is that God's gaze upon us is not to assess our worth. God's gaze upon us is what tells us of our worth. I think the love of God has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. Um, I think the world, we get this mixed up. Uh, I think we look at people in the world 
And this is just what we do. Subconsciously, I think we begin to qualify them for our love. We look at people and we say, does this person qualify for my love? And we do it subconsciously. It's not usually something that we walk up to someone when we first meet them and, and say, like, are you going to qualify for me to love you? But I think we begin to ask ourselves, are they deserving of my love? You know, what kind of person have they been in their past? Can I love them if they've done bad things in their past? Will they be able to pay me back for the way I love them? Are they, are they going to be able to love me back when I love them? Are they going to like me for how I love them? What's in it for me? I think the way we approach love is in this transactional, if I love you, you've got to do this and this and this for me. We say, I'll love you as long as you hold up your end of the deal. I'll love you as long as you uh, love me back. I'll, long, I'll love you as long as you respect me as long as you blank. And that's transactional love. And I think what's beautiful is that Jesus does not do that with us. He does not say, as long as you blank. It's unconditional. It's not transactional at all. It's transformational love that says, no matter what, I love you. And there's nothing you can do to earn my love, and there's nothing you can do to unearn my love. Let me give you an example. Has anyone ever been at your house and, and seen that the dishes are starting to pile up in your sink? Has that ever happened to anyone? Everyone else does their dishes perfectly. Uh, so every now and then I'll start to see dishes are piling up in our sink, but not usually because Sarah does dishes very well. <laughs> and I do them sometimes. But uh, I'll start to notice dishes piling up in my sink. And my first immediate thought is, well, didn't I do, did I do dishes last night? I think I, I, think I did do dishes, dishes last time. And I mowed the lawn this week, and, you know, I, I cleaned out the garage, and I, I, well, I did all the pool stuff, and I did the, the vacuuming that one time. And <laughs> I start to list out all these different things of, of what I've done, and I begin to create this list in my head. I begin to keep score. And I begin to think, okay, so then it's, that must be, mean it's her turn. And what I've just done in that moment, when I, when I begin to think these thoughts, is I've taken all those past ways that I've loved my wife, and I've turned them into something that I'm holding over her head. I've turned them into something that now I can say, well, I did those things, so now you have to do this, right? And the beautiful thing is God loves us in a way that doesn't hold it over our heads. He does not hold anything over our heads. He doesn't keep score like that. And he calls us to love like that. We ought to love expecting nothing in return. I ought to love my wife expecting nothing in return. I ought to love my neighbor expecting nothing in return. I ought, I ought to give generously without expecting to be paid back. And, and I think that that kind of love is so powerful. I think you've probably experienced it in your life. You've probably experienced this no-strings-attached kind of love. Um, even this week, uh, Sarah's kind of been on bed rest. Um, she's very pregnant. And um, this week, 
she called me on Tuesday and was almost in tears. And she said, it's crazy. All these people are calling me, and they want to take care of me and bring me food and bring me things and get us ready for the baby and do all these things for us. And she's almost in tears telling me about it. And I'm almost in tears telling you about it. Um, and, and a lot of people in this room were people who helped take care of us. And um, that was a love that didn't ask for anything in return. They were loving us not expecting to be paid back. People didn't bring a meal over and say, all right, now just make sure that you cook me a meal next time, right? <laughs> People didn't bring us like baby stuff and say, all right, but like when I have a kid, you're gonna get me back, right? Like kind of like swap for swap type thing. It, it was just freely given, freely just poured out upon us. And when you experience love like that, it brings you to tears. It brings you to a place that says, wow, I didn't, I, I didn't know you guys cared about me that way. And so God calls us to this kind of love, to this love that doesn't ask for anything in return, this no-strings-attached kind of love. We know we ought to do it, but how do we do it? Because, you know, I know how to dunk, or, yeah, I know, I know how to dunk a basketball, but I can't dunk a basketball. Right? Like mentally, I could go home and I could watch videos of how to dunk a basketball. I'm never going to be able to dunk a basketball unless I lose about 40 pounds and get really strong all of a sudden. <laughs> the thing is, we can know how to do something, but not have the power to do it. So where is the power to do this? Uh, there's a man in the Bible named Lazarus. You guys probably know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus. But before that happens, uh, Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus is very close with this family, very close with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, um, they, they might even be some of the people that he's closest to while he's on earth. And uh, Lazarus gets sick one day, and so Mary and Martha send for Jesus. And I, I don't know if they send a letter or they send a person or what, but it says they send for Jesus. And in their message, this is what it says. It says, Lord, they say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And that's it. The one whom you love is sick. Notice something interesting. They didn't say, the one who loves you is sick. Notice they didn't say, Lazarus, the one who, who loves other people so well, is sick. They didn't say, uh, Lazarus, the one who, who does all these good things and gives all this money away and, and takes care of the people around him, he's sick. No, they say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. See, the people who are close to Jesus in the Bible, they're more preoccupied with Jesus' love for them than anything else. They're more preoccupied with Jesus' love for them than their love for others or their love for Jesus. And, and they believe it's important to love others and to love Jesus, but it's not what's first on their mind. The Apostle John last week, uh, Jared was telling us that John is the apostle of love, the disciple of love, right? 
writes 1 John, which is all about love and how we ought to love one another and lay down our lives for one another. But in the gospel, he actually refers to himself. He gives himself this nickname, which, you know, you can't give yourself a nickname. That's, that's bad form. D- Danny tried to get us to call him Dan once. That didn't last. <laughs> right? You, you can't give yourself a nickname, but he does. He gives himself this nickname, this nickname. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved when he's writing in the gospel. It's not because he's full of himself. It's because that's where his identity is. That's what shapes his world. That's what has transformed his life. That's what gives him value. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. What if we referred to ourselves as the one whom Jesus loved? See, the, the theme of these people's relationship with Jesus is Jesus' love for them. And so I think in order to see with the eyes of Christ, to see as love sees, we need to know and believe in the depth of, of God's love for us. Um, 1 John 4.19, it's hanging in, a, in our kitchen on a, on a big piece of wood. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I think most of you guys would probably get this right on a test. I think most people here would, if I asked you, does God love you, true or false? Is that, that's not even a real question. God loves you, true or false? Most of you would probably say true. Yeah, he loves me. And you get it. We know it. But to believe it in, in the core of our being is a completely different thing. I mean, you may have heard it your whole life. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. But you've never truly believed it in the core of who you are. Believing takes more than just an acknowledgement mentally of, of a truth. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus And he gets to chapter 3, and he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, talking about God, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, Paul here, he says, look, if you got it, if you really understood it, if you really, what what is the word he used? If you really understood, if you could really comprehend in your inner being the way that Jesus loves you, it would transform everything in your life. He, he doesn't say, I pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the power to preach great sermons or the power to um, give away everything or the power to love others well, which he would say all those things are very important. He says, no, I I pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that you would, and that that power would allow you to know 
how much you are loved, that you would know the length and the width and the height and the depth of Christ's love for you. Because he understands what comes first. He understands that if you comprehend that, if you get it in, in the core of who you are, if it makes its way in there, that from out of that, all those other things are going to come. So he's, he's getting to the root of what's going on in us before he, before he starts telling them that, you know, you need to give to the poor and you need to take care of those around you. You need to love those around But he says, first, you need to understand this, that God loves you. And when you understand that, all that other stuff is going to come. See, I thought about, you know, ending a sermon. You always think, like, okay, i got to give them three points. Right? You, you always got to give people three points at the end of a sermon of, of what to do. And I thought, okay, I, I could give people three steps of how to love those around them better. I was like, oh, I don't know, like, be nice to your wife, invite your neighbor to lunch, and don't be so selfish. And I, I, that's okay. It's pretty good stuff, right? I'm not going to make a book out of it, but it's pretty good stuff. But then, as I was thinking about it, if, if we just leave it at that, if we just leave it at go Go love, which I think we ought to go love. But if, if that's all you hear, then you, we've missed it. Then, then you've just attended a self-help seminar on how to be a better you. That's not what the gospel is about. This, this is not about you just need to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and get out there and just do a better job loving everyone. The whole point of this book to make you understand how much you're loved and that from the transformation that occurs in you when you understand that that's going to cause you to go love others that's going to go cause you to be generous that's going to go cause you to take care of your neighbors I, I really think in order to go love that first we must know love if we're going to go love we got to know that love first um, one, of the, one of the great reformers, Martin Luther, uh, he has this quote where he says this, Work, work, from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. Work, work. He, he's got this idea. He's got this in his head. I have so much to do today. I have so many people to go love. I have so many people to, to take care of. I have so much work to get done that I ought to spend the first three hours of today in prayer. That's opposite of how we think, right? We don't think, oh, I have so much to do. I better spend more time with the Lord. Or I, I have so many people to go love. I, I better spend an extra long, quiet time this morning. But he knows where the power comes from. He knows that if he gets out there and, and is just trying to do it on his own, he's going to run dry. He's going to run out. He's going to come up short. He knows where the power comes from. And that's what I want to ask you guys today. Do you know that love? Have you walked in this room this morning and sat down in these seats knowing that God is crazy about you? That the God of the universe says you're his treasured possession, that the one who created you wants you. Have you forgotten about the lengths that, that Christ was willing to go to get you? One of, uh, 
my favorite movies is this movie called John Q. Uh, have you guys seen it? Denzel Washington, John Q. In the movie, uh, Denzel is a dad. And he's got this cute little kid, and, and the kid has um, a heart problem. So they, they show up at the hospital, and they find out that this kid has this uh, heart problem and that he needs a heart transplant. And the problem is um, John, Denzel Washington, he doesn't have the, the insurance that's going to take to cover this surgery. So the insurance denies him. And so now the, the hospital comes to him and says, hey, we can't do the surgery. We're not going to pay for it. Like, you need to come up with, uh, like, a million dollars to do the surgery. And he's like, well, I don't have, okay, I'll, can I get you, like, an IOU? And he can't get a loan from the bank, and he does everything in his power. And he's, he's realizing, what can I do to save my son? Till one day he shows up at the hospital with a gun. And he takes the whole hospital hostage. And, he's, and he begins to demand that they do the surgery on his son. And that's where uh, this video clip picks up. Might need sound. Okay. Take mine. What? You heard me. Take my heart and you put it in my... You can't be serious. You bet I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Oh, my God. Wow. Man, that means you'll be dead. And my son will live. John, you can't do this. It's the only way. No, you don't understand. Physically, you can't do this. Yes, I can. I kill myself. You open me up, you take my heart. It's perfect. Man, that's just crazy. No, no, we can't just remove your heart and put it into Michael's body. John, there are too many unknowns. Matching a donor and a recipient is extremely complicated. There are several critical tests that have to be taken. Like what? Cross matches for blood type, chest cavity measurements. If both blood tissues are not completely compatible... Come on, I know all about compatibility, no. okay? We've been tested up the wazoo. We're both B positive, our tissues match, his heart's three times the size of a normal heart, so mine will fit. Please, I'm just begging you. Step outside the room. I'd like to, John. I really would. But what you're asking crosses the line. It is completely unethical. Maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. My son's gonna live. Maybe you guys haven't figured that out by now. I'll do whatever I gotta do for him to live. So what are you gonna do? You gonna shoot me if I don't operate? No. I'm gonna kill myself. He needs a donor. Somebody's gotta die in order for him to live. I'm his father, it's me. Pretty intense scene. Um, it's crazy that that's how the God of the universe loves us. The God of the universe calls himself our Father, and he died so that we could live. And, and it's that kind of love. When, when we understand that kind of love, when we begin to comprehend that kind of love, that love that Jesus has for us, it, it begins to transform our lives. It begins to open our eyes, and it begins to allow us to see. So as the band comes back up here, um, this is what we celebrate when we take communion. We celebrate the fact that there was no length God would not go to have you. God went to the cross for you personally. It was, it was, he knew your, your, there's that old song, that old hymn. It says, your name was on his mind while he was on the cross. I believe that's true. 
that your name in here was on Jesus' mind while he was hanging on the cross. And so as we take the bread and the juice, it's in remembrance of, of the fact that God laid down his body for us. And when we eat the bread, it's God's body that was broken for us. When we drink the juice, it's in, it's in remembrance of God's blood that was poured out for us. And as we come back and we remember, week after week, that's why we do it over and over. It's not because it's, we're trying to fill time or something. We do this every week to remind us of the love that God has for us. And, and, and the hope is that that love would transform us to be like him and to love like him and to see the way he sees. That when people are of no use to us whatsoever, we still love them anyway. I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you that you saw us. And though we didn't earn it, we didn't achieve it, we weren't good enough to get it, you loved us anyway. You laid down your life for us. And the greatest act of love someone can show. Lord, I, I pray that that would just penetrate our hearts this morning. That it would make the 12-inch the jump from our head to our heart. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move. That we would comprehend the, the power and the depth and the length and the height your love for us. Lord, we love you. Because you first loved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.